So what is communication? I mean, it's it's a competency that we see on every leadership. Wait, wait, wait. That's uh, the provocative question. That's the provocative question. Let's start over then. Let's start over. Well, I'm going to lead into Kimberly's bad communication story. Get ready, Kimberly. We're going to start over again. Oh, you're going to love this. Everyone's a freaking critic. This is the show. This is the whole thing. Signal podcast <laughs> with Dan and Jonah in three. It's we don't grab them in the first two, five seconds. One. We lose. Yeah, and like, this is an example know. of perfect communication right here. <laughs> today we're talking about communication on the sense and signal podcast with dan and jonah we're here to welcome them welcoming uh two former guests uh kimberly benoit and uh hassan sorrells both uh leadership coaches consultants and experts in the field of organizational leadership and we are and authors and we are proud to have them here to tell us about some terrible communication stories involving leadership. So Kimberly, you said you had a good one. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. So prepare yourselves. So I was a brand new employee at a hospital. I had not worked in healthcare before and they had brought me in. I was hired as like a program manager. So I was shadowing somebody because I needed to learn kind of what I was going to be doing and the people I was going to be working with. And I walk into this meeting and it's got doctors in it and administrators, and they start talking about the challenges they're facing with the ED and how we really need to get the budget and we need to add some budget and we're going to be bringing in some specialists and all this stuff. And I am sitting there thoroughly confused, or should I say amazed, because I kept thinking to myself, I had no idea that erectile dysfunction had its own department. And that it was such a big problem. Like you see the commercials on TV, but like, really? Like it has its own separate, like it's a diagnosis and it has its own, it's not like cancer. Like you don't die from it. And so I'm sitting there (laughs) just like making notes and I'm like, wow, I really underestimated this. You know, we've made jokes about this, like the specialist. So good thing. I did not say a word because after we were done, I asked my training partner who had brought me along and I said to them, I am, I I just, I had no idea that erectile dysfunction was such a problem. And first off, she choked and started laughing so hard that she couldn't speak for about five minutes. And then she said, Kim, it's not erectile dysfunction. It's the emergency department. And I said, what? (laughs) And I said, you mean the emergency room? She's like the ER. And she's like, no, Kim, the emergency room is a function of the emergency department. So you thought the whole time they were talking about erectile dysfunction? And I said, well, yeah. Like, why wouldn't I think that? Everything you hear is ED, 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 ED. That's the only association I have with it. She's like, oh, God. So then she proceeded to tell everybody that I thought it was erectile dysfunction. (laughs) Moral of the story is 
That was how I met most of the new people that I was working with is because I became the ED girl. <laughs> is, the ED you can girl. never make assumptions. One, are you using jargon? Are you using acronyms? How, are you even sure mm-hmm. that people know what you're talking about? And like in my mind, that is a prime example of where communication just goes completely wrong. Everybody in that room thought they thought they were all speaking the same language. I was in a completely different place. And so just for all of you out there, anyone, if you should move into healthcare and you hear the, you know, acronym ED, it's not erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Learn from my mistake. This reminds me of a story Jordan and I were talking about recently with a foreign exchange student that we went to college with from Japan. Do you remember that story, Jordan? It's sort of related. It's more of a foreign language issue. Um, but I, but sticking with the, the this this jargon thing, you know, it's interesting. There's two things I can think of when you're communicating with jargon. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. Basically, so so it's essentially. Well, no, we'll tell at the end if there's time. It's 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 funny, but it's kind of really, but it's kind of not. He does but, this on shows. He says he's going to say this, tell a story at the end of the show, and then we never get to it. That's <laughs> and then I'm editing, and I'm like, where was the story? Jordan never <laughs> finished the story. I'm sensing a strategy here. There is a strategy, yes, but as far as far as the jargon is concerned, I feel like we're talking about communication and, and yeah. we'll talk about probably different levels of communication. There's intended communication. There's also the communication that you unintendedly send out. But the, this notion of jargon is interesting because it it is the sort of the Malcolm, Malcolm McLuhan, is that his name? The media is the message guy. It's, what was his name? Marshall, Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan. Marshall, Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan. Yeah. It's really not the jargon. It's that you're signaling when people use jargon. It's the fact that you're using jargon. It signals to people, I'm in this group, and look how cool I am. And other people, oh, you, I'm cool too. I got that jargon as well. And it can be leveraged in a way that can definitely keep people from feeling they're part of the system mm-hmm. or network. And that, so it's not even the, the, literally the words. It's the I, impetus of the words. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say I, I've something. Something I, I'm, I'm onboarding some new employees right now, um, who aren't from higher education. So I do take the time, and I think this is my role as a leader: is go. Do you understand what we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Do we need to define these acronyms to make sure? And they're like, "No, I don't," because they're not going to say anything unless you check with them, because they don't want to feel like the out the person on the outside of the group. So taking the time to pause and go, "Do you understand what we're talking about?" and yeah. catching them up is important. Well, and most jargon is, let's be frank here. Most jargon is BS. I mean, you're not going <laughs> to wind up holding, holding your partner's hand in two, two tubs together, uh, you know, on a, on a, on a Cialis commercial. Um, <laughs> if you, if you which is the first thing, by the way, Kimberly, that popped into my head when you said ED, uh, Thank but, you. You know, you're probably, Thank you. <laughs> you're probably not going to wind up in that spot. Right. Um, that's going to create all other kinds of uncomfortabilities, but, um, but the key thing in in remembering the issue of jargon is if you cannot explain it, and this is this is how I always frame it for leaders, if you can't explain what you want done to a five year old, how co- what are you doing? You're, you're you're hiding behind jargon. You're using it as a cover or as a camouflage, and and to Joda's point, using it. A, I find a lot of leaders use it for ego stroking, and that's that's mm. that's. That's probably something we could do without. Sometimes you just, I, I will, I, I'd push back on that a little bit. Like maybe there's some ego stroking going on. Like I, I have this knowledge that you don't have access to, but I also think it's cultural. You get just, you're swimming mm-hmm. in your own pond mm-hmm. and you're forgetting that, you know, there are p- new people coming into the pond that 
are not going to be familiar with these things that you say casually because you're so immersed in the culture mm-hmm. of the organization. Well, I think that's true. And especially when you speak about industry. So, cause I've worked in so many different industries, like retail had its own things. It had its, in its own, you know, acronyms and its own jargon. Healthcare has a tremendous, like you're stepping into almost a completely different planet. Um, and I think that's the component about leadership. That's most important is, are you doing a good job of slowing down and asking in a non-condescending way? Because I think that's another thing right. too, is like, you have to be able to check for, and that's where I think communication falls off is do you check for understanding and do it in a way that is not condescending and meaningful to ensure that, you know, we're all saying the same thing. We're aligning on message. Um, Cause you know, ED aside, there's many times people will use words that may sound the same, but have very different mm-hmm. meanings to people, depending yeah. on your team, your department, even within the same company. Uh, I've seen that fall off the rails sometimes where people walk away with very, and you can talk to, they were all in the same meeting, but boy, we all had very different ideas of what the next steps were um, Mm -hmm. because we understood different things. And so that's the component I always feel is one, how do you you keep it simple? And are you confirming and checking for understanding as you go? Um, Mm. Because that's a, that's a newbie mistake. I sent the email. Okay. That was an email. And did they read it? And advocating for yourself too. If you're the new person in the organization, that I just, I'm thinking about a very specific person who, when we're at meetings, will stop the meeting and say, "Can you define what you just said?" You know, because they're not, they're not, they haven't been in the industry that long. So, <laughs> also making sure that you're you're taking that role too and, and clarifying information for yourself. Which is a risk because people can make judgments about you, and, and it might be me. I think it's important for people to take advantage of being the new person in the room. I think we often think we're the new person, so I don't know, have anything to say. I I don't know I don't know well enough to to bring up a question. That's the perfect time to be stupid um, and 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 lean into it. If you're with a group who's going to take advantage of you because of that, wrong group to be with. That's mm-hmm. not people you want to be working with in the first place because that's, I, that's my bread and butter. I get sad when I become the person who they people look to answer sometimes because I get to stop. I feel like I, I'm not empowered to ask the stupid questions anymore. So I think it's important to, to definitely take advantage um, of that newbie uh, point in your, in, in any sort of situation for that purpose. Well, I think you probably have about, you have about six to eight months when you're in that, that first initial sort of getting into the team. I, I call it the, uh, I call it the dating period, mm-hmm. right? Like before you enter an intimate relationship, you, you know, you're dating, right? It's, this is the, this is the area where we're finding out about each other, where uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're discovering what the meaning of things are. Um, it's all very romantic and all that other kind of good, good stuff. Um, and people don't like talking about love stories at work, by the way, but this is part of the stories that we tell, which is of course a part of communication. Um, but it is yeah. a love story at work. This is how we fall in love with work. We fall in love with the job. And, um, it does psychologically speaking, it does take around six to eight months, um, for an individual to feel as though they are part of that team. And one of the key mm-hmm. ways that we figure that out is through, asking uh questions right um and yep. there are no there are no stupid questions i would i would i would at least not in that period mm-hmm. there aren't and quite frankly you know as you transition in your career 
one of the things sometimes I've worked with with folks who are in career transitions is when you take that next step up in promotion or you take that next transition in your career or you maybe move laterally um, into another role um, that might be in the same space, you get a new fresh six to eight months. So don't dismiss that. Um, use that time to uh, to grow your knowledge base. Oh, I agree. Yeah, for sure. I tell people it takes you about six months to actually learn your job. Like, do you know I the say, ins and yeah. out? And it takes about a, at least nine months to learn the unspoken stuff. So mm -hmm. like the stuff on paper is about six and the unspoken stuff is about nine. Oh, I like that. And because it's the, un, like, it's the cult, it's what, it's the, in, that, that untouchable, indefinable culture. Like who really mm -hmm. is the power player in the room? Like, okay, you know, their titles, awesome. But who actually is the decision maker? Who is the one that is driving what's happening here? Um, and one of the things that I think we haven't talked about yet, because we, we've talked a lot about words, but is the importance of communication through nonverbal signals. Um, mm -hmm. Because you know when somebody's lost. So is that a moment? Because usually there's a blank expression that eventually, because I can only imagine the expression I had on my face in that meeting of like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure I looked confused. <laughs> so <laughs> gratefully, nobody asked me because I don't think that meeting could have continued with all of those people realizing what I thought was being discussed. But the idea, be, but the idea of saying if somebody looks lost, they probably are. And, mm -hmm. you know, how are, are we queuing into the stuff that isn't being spoken, but the stuff that is nonverbal and how somebody is physically presenting and it's different virtually than it is in person, but you can still read if you're paying attention when somebody is not with you or tracking with what's going on. Mm -hmm. And what would be some of the nonverbal cues that you'd look for in that situation? I mean, the blank expression. Well, sure, yeah, yeah. Right? The, yeah. I, I, I would, I, yeah, yeah, the blank middle distance stare. Yeah. I've, um, I've been working you know. with Jonah for almost a year now. I still get that expression from him. Deer in headlights. I was going to say, I wish people would stop asking me if I'm confused. <laughs> We're just checking in on you, Jonah. We just want to see how you are. That's all. Is your screen just frozen or is that your face? <laughs> no, I'm just confused. <laughs> Admit it. No, I think I, I think I think we do. I think we look for the middle distance staring off kind of I don't really know what's going on here. Um I also think we need we need to look for the because the body tells the story, like mm -hmm. in trauma. Same thing with mm -hmm. confusion, right? So uh you know, if you're really tied into your team, uh who's shuffling papers? Who seems to be scribbling furiously, uh, whom seems to be nodding, but they've got a fixed smile on their face because they're going to have another meeting outside <laughs> or they're going to figure all this out. You know, those are some of the nonverbals that you want to be looking for, particularly in a group setting where those the, the real power of social proofing doesn't allow other people doesn't allow people to have to, to ask uh, questions. OK, so now I have to practice what we're preaching here. Hey, son, what is social proofing? Social proofing is this great aspect of um, persuasion. It's actually, if you go and look at Robert Cialdini's work um, on persuasion, it's the third spot in his pyramid after commitment and consistency and reciprocity. And social proofing is basically the idea that we do what other people do because it seems correct, not right or mm. wrong, not a value word. It seems correct. So if it's correct for everybody to be rowing in this particular direction, 
it's really hard for us to be the outlier because human beings like being part of teams. They like being part of, I'm going to use a loaded word here that Seth Godin would use. People like being a part of tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, we like being in the mm. in group rather than in the out group. Right. And it takes a lot of courage, by the way, this is why we call them rebels and iconoclasts to be in that out group. It takes a lot of courage. Um, but in a, in a work situation, the penalties for being in an out group are so much higher. And particularly if we're new, we don't know what the penalties are. So we're not going to be psychologically oriented to take that risk. Thus, the social proofing is very strong or the power of that social proofing is very strong to just pull us along, even if we have no idea where we're going. That's fascinating. Yeah, I feel like, um, I always feel like a little bit of an outlier in the workspace. Um, just naturally, right? I mean, what about you, Kimberly? Like, when you're thinking about trying to adapt to an organization, what are things that you have done to help yourself belong, or do you feel like you want to stand aside and well, not get caught up in that rowing? Well, I think it's. I mean, I agree completely with Hassan. Like, you you don't know what you don't know, and over experience has taught you if you come in and you stick your foot in it then you you're not you're not starting from a level playing field you're now digging out of a hole that you don't even know how deep it is because you're not sure who you've upset you're not sure who you've ticked off um i've made that mistake where i came in and i was operating on my prior company's culture and expectations and that was not what my new company was and i ended up upsetting the wrong person And I was so confused. I had no idea what I had done because in my mind, social perfect, I was rowing the boat, but I was rowing the boat for a different company. And so um, I think what I usually advise people to do, and one of the things I encourage leaders to do is buddy somebody up. So you get like an onboarding buddy or something like that's the person you talk to. Yeah, but make it a peer. So like somebody who's Mm -hmm. close that you can phone a friend and be like, hey, what's this ED thing? I just want to make sure I got that right. Or, hey, I was in this (laughs) meeting and they kept using these acronyms. I don't like I don't know what those mean and I don't know where to go find what that means. And so you create that safe space or to have the conversations of like, hey, I was in this meeting and this person was in there and this person was in there and. I picked up on some stuff. Can you help me understand? So how to help so that you don't stick your foot in it. How do you help buddy somebody up so that they can have a safe space to ask those questions in that that six month period of be stupid. So maybe it's not appropriate to ask it in the moment, but the, who is it? Where's a safe place to say, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, or I feel like I'm about to make a mistake or is this the right way to approach it here? Um, I think that's super smart because I think there's a tension there when you're starting a new job or coming into a new position where you you have this expectation like, oh, they want me to do something with this job and take initiative and create change. But at the same time to do that, you're, you, there's a potential you're going to step on some people's toes. And I know I think we've all been in that situation where you're like, OK, I got this great idea. I'm putting it forward. And then it's like. Sit down, kid. <laughs> We've already done that. and Or that's my thing. And you're stepping out of uh, your veering off of your pathway. Well, I also think there's a responsibility. And I'm glad Kimberly mentioned this um, about on on the culture 
to provide that peer mentoring, right? And I, and I would even yeah. use the word mentoring because mentoring is loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would use the term coaching, right? Peer to peer coaching, right? Um, and setting up that relationship. And it was, it's really interesting. So, you know, <clears throat> in addition to everything else that I do, I'm also an amateur historian, particularly on the history of work. And so the history of work is very much, particularly in America, based off of obviously the Henry Ford industrialization model, just taken everywhere to its logical conclusion. Um, and inside of that model, there are certain assumptions about the people that are that, that are coming in to the model and how they're going to behave. And many of us, uh, we haven't quite made the full generational transition over, I think we will in the next 15 years as uh, the much talked about Generation Z begins to rise into middle management, they're going to be the first generation that that didn't really come Don't up under scare industrial. Me, hey, son. Well, <laughs> the first generation that didn't come up under industrialization. <laughs> so here we go. Um, but um, you know, we still have enough people left in the system who remember that industrial model, mm-hmm. right? And remember the leftovers of that industrial model. And part of that industrial model is based off of the assumption that there are certain shared experiences, shared culture, shared whatever that bind us together even before we show up to work. So there should need to be a coach. There should need to be a mentor because we all just naturally share this. Again, assumptions are dangerous. And those assumptions have not been true for at least the last 25, 30 years. But organizations are slow typically to catch on to this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what is a so to steer back to, to communication too, what is an example? Do you have an example, Hassan, of a really bad communication story from a, a organization that you've been involved with? Oh my, uh, yes. So, worked with an organization, <laughs> and this can be framed in so many different ways. But uh, I had a client who called me, <clears throat> and I would have never done this work if they hadn't already been a client. Hadn't been a client that was referred to me by another one, right? So I trusted the client that sent the referral, and thus I took this 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 client's call. Um, and so they called me. And they said, "Hey, we've got a, we've got a vice president here." And I said, "Okay, that's interesting. What is your, what's the problem with the vice president?" They said, "Well, in meetings, he he has a problem with communication." And I said, "Okay, what's the issue with communication?" And they said, "Well, you know, he's making jokes and, and calling people Aunt Jemima and thinking that it's funny." Now there are usually wow. times, and this has only happened a couple times in my career as a consultant and as a, a trainer and as an educator. Where I, I I pause the interaction, I put someone on mute, I I turn off the video if I happen to be on Zoom, and I just laugh out loud, or I go, "What just happened?" or something. There's only been a couple of times, and that was one of those times in my career where I literally put put the it was on a Zoom call, <clears throat> literally put the person on mute. I said, "Hold on a second. and I muted them, and I muted the video, and I sat in this very <laughs> same office that I'm sitting in now, and I said, "What the hell?" Because this was 2021. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Small manufacturing company, vice president, been there from the beginning, just thought it was a big joke, da-da-da-da-da. Now, again, that operates on so many different levels, but let's just focus on the communication piece. (laughs) 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 Because let's just just focus on the tiny part here. If you're having meetings and you're a person who's supposed to be the leader and supposed to be in charge, you're the one who sets the tone for those meetings. And so I understand humor. I understand jokes. Um, but we have to – well, for anybody listening to the Sense of Signal podcast, uh, the big piece of advice out of there, if you are a leader, is read the room, people. <laughs> like right. you have to know the culture of the room you're in. But some people don't know how to read a room. 
That's true. They do not. I agree with that. Yes. And and I think because uh, I think we are good at that. And because we do it, I think we assume people know. Like I have never. So this random thought. I have never seen a training on teaching people to read body language, like in a speaking capacity. Like, how do you know how to read mm. if you have just made someone very uncomfortable? Now, granted, hope, does this VP care about changing his behavior? Because that's a component that we're not even that's the really brought in. Because if he doesn't care, then you can coach him all you want. You can train him all you want. And he's still going to think his joke is funny and want to say his joke no matter that's what. Right. So that's a separate well, unless problem. Well, as the CEO says, uh, either go to this diversity training or go to this communication training or you're out, right? That makes me think I have a provocative question. What is communication? I'm just kidding, Dan. Uh, so, but but the question: What is it? What is no? But it does. It, That's a good question. It, 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 <laughs> it does bring up the notion, though, right? And when, when we're communicating, um, we are. And what is the point of of sending signals out? And one of the signals that that person might have been signal, signaling out was that, like we said, I don't care. You know, there could be a hubris to their personality, but that's the vibe I get from that story is this person kind of what Kimberly was kind of leading to at the last, that last question is that he probably was, he wants to be known as this person that I'm tough and I can say things and yeah, I'm going to offend you and you better live with it. In fact, one Mm -hmm. of the, one of the things that Dan and I just, uh, one of the episodes we just had, and I've brought this so many times now, um, I read this um, Harvard Business Review uh, study around teams and the research of this one said they could tell when a team was going to be successful, not by the smartest people on the team or how, or what they said or the great ideas that they shared, but how they communicated so so much in communication is 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 really sits back on the sort of the lizard or monkey brain side, the the primitive aspects, mm-hmm. you know, something to think about, you know. And I don't even know how what you were supposed to do with that information, but just to know that we're sort of touchy feely, really, when it comes to communication, more so than using this part up here that we think we're leveraging. Well, one of my favorite sayings about communication is it's the illusion that it's actually happened. And so, mm. um, so for instance, you know, during COVID, cause I was still working for this a health system at the time and, you know, we had to do some emergency communication training because we were pushing out a lot of very unpleasant policies and things that people were very resistant to. And what we found were, were that, um, some leaders who were scared to tell their teams that they're going to have, they had to be the bearers of some news that weren't great related to some policy changes And so they would just send an email and they would like, but I communicated it or they would send it in a text message. (laughs) And so, so those kinds of things is the idea. And now granted, I think some of these people were intentionally deluding themselves, but I also think we have an issue now, especially when you look generationally, um, that certain people like to receive communication in a certain way and they have go-to communication styles. Like I know some people who will never answer a phone, but some messages we, really, doesn't never well, does. But, <laughs> but some messages need to have be delivered via conversation versus yep. some yeah, messages Dan. are more appropriate for a text message or an IM or um, or my favorite was recently I was working with somebody who was like, nobody uses email anymore. And I thought, yeah, they do. Maybe I'm just really old. Oh. But but again, depending on the message, you have to think about this, the kind of communication needed. 
So remember the story that uh, floated to the top of your LinkedIn newsfeed. Um, if it's on desktop, it's on the on the um, on the right hand side of your newsfeed. Uh, if you are on mobile on LinkedIn, it's it's actually in your feed. But remember the story that popped up. I believe it was in 2021 where the gentleman uh, who was the CEO of an organization. I can't remember which one. It probably doesn't matter, but it's to Kimberly's point. He fired 800 people via Zoom. I remember that. Mm, yeah, I remember that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Now, beyond just the bad leadership there, which he, by the way, he 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 owed it to his employees to have 800 separate meetings. Yeah. With each one of them, if you're going to fire them via Zoom, which is fine, by the way, if we're in the middle of a pandemic and you've got to do it remotely, da 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 da. But it's on you as the leader to have 800 separate meetings. And by the way, all the people who are now listening to the podcast who are leaders, uh, they now passed out. So I just killed your entire subscriber base. Well, um, because we, it's, but, but in the first 10 <laughs> seconds, anyhow. <laughs> but, um, but it's true, yeah. right? Like if we're going to deliver hard messages to Kimberly's point, we have to be able to critically think about how those messages um, are going to be uh, received by the other person, because there's always two people mm -hmm. in, a, uh, in a communication interaction. But then also the, 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 the tool we use to deliver that message also sends a message mm -hmm. as part of the communication. And so when you're firing 800 people anonymously via Zoom or God help us via text message, which that will come up fairly soon, I suspect, or via a TikTok video. Right. <laughs> um, the medium to go back to Marshall McLuhan for just a minute is also it continues to be the message. It'll be right? a TikTok video with a dance. Oh Lord. Yeah. With some like choreographed. <laughs> no severance. Pick up your check. <laughs> All right. We're gonna have to make that as a joke thing now. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> but it's true like but that i think is like i think this challenge though becomes like the more methods of communication the more means that we have and again people really gravitate to the one they love the most yep. um, when you are a leader though that you have to pump the brakes on that and say what does the message require for there to actually be communication and for me to truly check for understanding and you know, and sometimes it's yeah, going to be one message may have to have multiple methods of communication. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm leading a change at my institution right now where people will potentially lose their jobs and uh, it's due to a state policy change. And we've had meetings, we've had emails, mul again, to your point, multiple methods of communication about these changes that will impact their jobs. Um, so and and even in person, not necessarily in person, but one-on-one -on -one Zoom meetings to kind of talk people through, like, this is why this is happening, help them make sense of the situation, um, and so forth. So I definitely believe that. And to your point, Kimberly, about the, the challenge of the multiple methods, I find in my organization, we have people only respond through email. People who will only respond through Teams. People only respond if you go to their office yeah. <laughs> and have that hallway That's conversation. And so now you have to learn, like, okay, if I want something from this person, this is how I have to do it. If I want it from this person, this is how I have to do it, which is fascinating too and that's a nine month tribal knowledge learning that you get and it takes you figure that after that nine month or year period you know i wonder if like leaders and maybe they already do um are going to have to have sort of not just perhaps executive assistants but sort of pr people who are very attuned to 
messaging so that they can still lead without having to think about the distribution of that message as things get more complicated. Tragically, <laughs> and I don't know what Kimberly's thought is on this, but tragically, I think human beings will revert to mean. Uh, human leaders will revert to mean unless they're intentionally thinking about this. And so I think for entry-level employees, we're going to revert to large language models, which we euphemistically call AI, to hire mm. and fire people mm. because it's just easier wow, yeah. um, and impersonal. Are and you I, saying they're not really intelligent, Hassan? Is that what you meant by that you with that euphemism comment? Tell you what, you have me back on the podcast. <laughs> we'll talk about intelligence anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, and then for the and then for the much put upon middle manager, those individuals will probably, if they are to be let go. Uh, it will be whatever method they choose because there'll be so fewer of them. It'll be easier to deal with them. So I suspect that'll be email, in-person, TikTok videos, tweets, whatever, however you're going to get them out. And then upper management, upper management will always be hands-on. Mm -hmm. It'll always be a George Clooney up in the air. I've got to, I've got to show up to fire the CEO in person kind of deal um, or to deliver a message that the CEO needs to hear. And I think that's the tragedy of, of sort of the nature of hierarchies in organizations. Uh, and unfortunately, there's no um, there's no emotional or material or even financial um, uh, impetus to do better at the bottom. And that's part of the way, the reason why I do the work that I do is, is to create that impetus to do better at the bottom because that's where your future leaders are going to be coming from. Are there? Yeah. That's yeah. I was going to say, I was going to ask about the hierarchy thing. Are there any other implications on language and how we apply and we communicate with each other with the fact that there's a hierarchy structures? What, what does the hierarchy impose upon our ability to communicate? And what are, what are some low hanging fruit thoughts on that? Kimberly, go ahead. Well, I would say just one additional thought. So I know a huge focus that I'm aware of is how do we teach, especially new leaders, how to communicate um, in part because it, they are the funnel for the leaders that are going to come. Um, and I think we have to get, I think that's still something we need to double down on. Even though AI is coming and my biggest fear is what's going to happen is, is they're going to get like these they're just going to cut and paste things and the communication isn't going to, yeah, it's great that this AI can create this beautiful message for you, but it's going to be very impersonal. And in the sense Not that authentic. you're going to cut and paste it. And it, so you think it's going to, again, you're going to think you've done something when the truth is you really haven't done what you thought you've done. Um, so I do think we still have to teach people how to have empathetic communication particularly if you're talking about leaders. I don't care where along the line they are. because Probably more, more so now even than before. If you get them in the beginning, then they only grow that skill set as they go. My thought about the, the hierarchy of, when you talk about hierarchy of organizations, like my first thought was is, well, most C-suites have their own communication team. And so mm -hmm. they have someone who is paid to create their comms for them so that they can usher it out the way you want, but there's not, I don't find that many companies have a great means. Like I get it. They have all the tools. So like you can communicate with your team, you can communicate across teams, but when you talk about going up that pyramid, I don't necessarily find the funnel is very open in most companies. You know, it's, it's very filtered what the upper level actually hears. And then again, the filter down is, you know, I like, I'll use healthcare as an example, Majority of those, those um, employees 
are on the floor treating patients. They're not sitting at a desk looking at their inboxes. So the so how you communicate, so if you're just pumping out emails or whatever, there's a large probability that they're never going to see that communication. And so you and again, you, you knowing your audience becomes so important. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, the great the great workplace classic office space provides us with some information here. Um, oh, so good. Did you? Yeah, oh, so good. So much better than the show The Office. And yes, all y'all can come for me now. That's no, fine. I agree with you 100%. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. We should all have some flair. Yeah. Oh my, oh my. And 34 pieces and not one piece less. <laughs> um I think you're in a situation. I think Kimberly, to answer your question, it's a situation where, again, just like in that film, you know, we've got the whole. We're going to have a whole dynamic of middle, individ, middle, middle of the hierarchy individuals. And again, you're seeing this with the return to work thing that's happening right now. Dynamic that's happening mm. right now. Middle managers having to justify their existence based on the the level of in person interaction that they have. Mm -hmm with individuals around things that could have probably been done via email. Mm -hmm. And I know we just talked about how you've got to, you've got to pick the medium to send the message, but it works mm -hmm. the other way too. It works in all aspects. So if we're using to Dan's point, right? If he's doing an initiative where some people are going to be fired, um, he probably needs to deliver those, not him, but his committee needs to make a plan for people to deliver those types of messages in person, right? Now, that doesn't apply for the TPS reports, though, that didn't get filled out. That could have been an email. And that, yeah. was, of course, was the whole frustration of the, the individual and um, the, the guy in office space. Um, and so I think that the hello hanging fruit there, to Kimberly's point, is how do we train or how do we develop younger leaders, not only in the empathetic nature of communication and the empathetic the need to engage in empathy in communication, but how do we train the middle manager to recognize the need to support that empathy mm -hmm. when there may be no impetus uh, to do so? Mm -hmm. I think that's another piece of low hanging fruit there that we can probably pluck. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, and just to put a, another point on the, an additional point on the hierarchy question, I think, because there's so many law, there's there's legal issues, there's HR issues, there's all these layers of things that you become more constrained by the higher up in an organization you go, mm -hmm. that I think that makes um, communication, you have to be very careful with how you communicate. Because if you're a lower level manager and you say something off the cuff, it's like, ah, oh, Dan said that. But if the president of the college says something, everyone's like, What? <laughs> and there's a cascade effect by the, even though the slightest word that is misinterpreted, you know. Um, well, that's why. And they so have I think a team. that's why. You, yeah. No, for sure. And is that and is that yeah, and that's why. is that how it should? Uh, is that a consequence? Uh, is that a consequence that is legit? Or are you suggesting that that shouldn't be that way? Or is there something to be addressed in there? I just I think it is. Yeah. I, I don't think it's right or wrong. Yeah. I think it's just if you are if you're on the bottom of the 
bottom level of the rungs, you're looking up and seeing that behavior. It gives you a sense-making tool as to why that's happening. I'm not going to get a super authentic message from certain yeah. people in the organization yeah. because they can't really do it, you know, because they're constrained by different things. Whereas if you're in a middle management position, you have a little more freedom to speak freely and be a little more authentic in your communication. But that doesn't mean I don't think the executives shouldn't strive for that. And I think some people are very good at it uh, and, and still being authentic and, and expressing themselves. But I definitely think, and, so, and I guess back to the points that are overall being made, training needs to go into how to be an authentic communicator when you're going through the ranks and you get, so you're, you have those skills once you're in the executive level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I've got a great story. I got a great story. So we talked about firing Ooh. email goes out. Okay. We're going to say this character we're going to talk about, we're going to call him Robert Oppenheimer because he was an employee who liked to, was kind of explosive, right? So email comes out from Robert Oppenheimer's manager says, I need to let everyone know Robert Oppenheimer's no longer with us. Mm. That's it. What do you think happened to Robert Oppenheimer? Oh, he's fired. Oh, I think oh, he yeah. sent back. I think he sent back an email quoting the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> Behold, I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Died. Robert's no longer with us. Did he die? Well, I mean, I don't know. So, in your experiences, like I know, in certain companies, you can tell the difference if someone quit or if someone got fired because there's language oh, yeah. that yeah. they use when they were let go. Oh, yeah. Now they don't say that, but there's coding. Like you know, it's in there. Oh, and Joe's yeah, spending more know. time with his family. Yeah. <laughs> I have literally seen that in an email. <laughs> Joe decided he was going to spend more time with his family. He's exploring, For sure, he's exploring external opportunities. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have also seen it, and this is very. Uh, it's becoming common. Too as just not saying anything at all, and like somebody's gone, you don't know if they got fired, you don't know if they quit because no, there's no notices going out about change in the in personnel, and it's like, and then you get a kickback email saying so and so no longer works here, and you're like what? No notice went out at all. Yeah, but that sends a message in and of itself. Oh yeah, um, yep. if yeah. if nothing is said. Yeah, trust. Um, that's a trust thing. All of a sudden, you start not mm-hmm. having faith in the communication structures and systems. That's the veracity of things being said or not being said. Well, because then the question becomes: Well, why did you announce some but not others? So, oh, yeah. what's really going on? What are you hiding? What are you not going to hide? What, what, then, what do I know and not know? And then immediately you start having a culture well, problem because people start to assume something nefarious has happened, something very negative has happened, one hundred percent, or they're hiding something. Um, and that I've seen that happen where you can have a completely stable environment suddenly derail simply because you did not communicate and for whatever reason, yeah. but boy, it starts a skid that is then yeah. hard to stop. Yeah. Well, nature abhors a vacuum, you know, and mm-hmm. so people are going to yeah. backfill, uh, their, their vacuum with whatever, uh, stories they are going to tell themselves um, about whatever is happening inside of the situation. And most of those stories are going to be based in the three most corrosive types of communication in an organization, gossip, rumor, and innuendo. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, you as a leader have a responsibility to fill that space. Um, and if you don't even recognize that the space needs to be filled, eh 
that's a that's a that's a bigger to me that's a bigger issue yeah. um that that needs to be uh that potentially needs to be addressed um i'd like to double back for just a moment because there's something that occurred to me when we were talking about the hierarchy piece i think okay. the communication piece works differently at scale so kimberly was talking about c-suite teams that have pr teams absolutely for sure have a communications director great those fortune 500 fortune 1000 companies you know the places where the ceo is making fifty thousand dollars a month okay and has stock options right and is like the president of a small country eh, cool right uh we work a lot with small and medium-sized business organizations those organizations don't have pr teams <laughs> you know right if you're if you're a family organization if you're an organization with up to maybe 20 2500 people somewhere in there you're not you're typically are not going to have a pr team no. and so understanding that scale is a thing that defeats us with communication is also something very critical to uh, to keep in mind as well mm -hmm. it's huge it's a huge no, i think it's a really excellent point yeah. I do have a question, though. Is gossip always bad? I say it is. Kimberly, Kimberly I'll let you take this really? one. Really? <laughs> no, I, 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 I would disagree. I don't think gossip's always bad. Well, I, well say more about think, that. Why do you think wait, – wait, tell me when you think gossip is good. I think gossip, gossip allows – it's a way of entering the culture. It gives you the inside scoop about – what's potentially really going on define, if you're gossiping gossip, with the right de person. Define gossip, I guess. Well, sharing information about things that are happening at the institution that might not be official, that might not be a being said officially, but behind the scenes, you know this is what's really going on and sharing that kind of information. I think gossip sometimes uh, so wait, wait, wait. Gossip is can be positive. Unofficial communication? Of, a of, Unofficial. of a negative nature? It could be negative. It could be positive. It could be anything. It could be just is. It, you know, but it's information that's not, not necessarily uh, official. Not everybody might be privy to, but it could be advantageous to know. Like, all right, so say, getting back to communication, I'll give, give an example. Say, like, there's an employee who, if you email them, they will never email you back. Don't even bother waiting for the email. That would be a low, very low, minor level piece of gossip that you call might that share gossip. with somebody. I don't know you guys. That's yeah. not gossip. Well, I think I'm just trying to give an example. I mean, or oh, you know, this person potentially we're talking about firing this person got probably got let go for these reasons. These things are the things that were happening in their unit that potentially may have caused the door to open okay, right. for I'm them. I'm going to pause you there. So really classify the that. I would classify that as innuendo or rumor. Yeah. I'm, more so than gossip. And I'm going to say this. Sorry. No, I'm going to let you guys respond. I would just, I just want a final point. Yeah. I feel like saying is gossip good is like saying is evil good. And, and then what I mean by that gossip is by definition. Oh, yeah, is, is by, I'm, somebody, though. I'm just saying, all I'm saying is I, I, gossip. I'm going to spread a nefarious rumor about Joda, right? No, 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 the no. Organization I'm just saying that gossip is by definition. No, 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 no. I'm just saying that by definition, all I'm going to say is that by definition, gossip, I think is bad. That's by definition. And if you're doing side conversations. And I would argue that it's not always bad. It can be bad. If I'm going to spread a nefarious rumor about no. Joda. Then gossip is bad. 
But if it's just sharing information and speculating not, about the players, okay, all right. Well, Kimberly, what different definition? What do you guys think? What you decide this, and Dan and I will stop wrestling. <laughs> I'm simply going to say it depends on your objective. Um, Ooh, so see, okay. that's what I'm saying. So, okay. so okay, so if you're trying to create a healthy cultural environment where you know there's transparent open communication and all that kind of stuff gossip can be absolutely detrimental in the, because it seeds a lot of like cattiness and you know backstabby things and like well i heard and oh my god and did you hear about that like so it, it's the water cooler at its worst basically it's using an, an office phrase that probably most people don't even know what that means anymore but the idea of like how people are very, you know, from a leadership standpoint, do I think gossip's good? No. Um, if your objective though, is you are trying to create some click or you're trying to socially embed yourself with some people at work that are that, then your objective is going to be go do that. Then you're going to be like, yes, I'm going to be the gossip. I'll be gossip girl, I'll be gossip queen. It, it depends on your objective of what you want to use that gossip for. Um, but in general, do I think it is, do I think gossip is good for the health of, um, to create a healthy team culture? No. Do I know that it exists in every single team I've ever been on? Yes. Um, yes, so, it is. It's a natural thing. We didn't say it's not. Hey, son, what is this? What's your take? So, so, so I, I, I have three thoughts here, uh, as you could probably imagine. I have more, but I'll distill it down <laughs> to three. So first thought, um, Gossip is a natural, a natural, it is a part of human anthropological and cultural context, particularly for how we socially norm mm -hmm. each other, right? How we make sure yep. that everybody stays in line in the tribe. There's some clear research on this. You can go Google it. You can go look it up. Um, yep, I've read it too. Yes. Yep. Psychologists, anthropo anthropologists have been looking at this for a long time. Now, just because it is inbuilt into our culture, not necessarily our biology, but into our culture, does not make it necessarily an overall good. Mm -hmm. I do believe that our responsibility as leaders and honestly as purveyors of culture um, is to overcome our base natures. But that's just my opinion. Uh, that's one thought. Second thought is as a leader, I often keep in mind or I will tell leaders when, this, when the subject of gossip comes up, I will tell them of a, of a president, probably the last really good president we had, uh, who had a, a plaque on his desk that said the buck stops here. Guy named Harry Truman. Right now, what is that socially signaling to the team in the White House? And what is that socially signaling to the nation about him as a politician or quite frankly, as a statesman? Well, it's indicating that. Uh, you can gossip all you want, but at a certain point, accountability stops somewhere. And I am the person where accountability stops. He's, 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 uh, mm -hmm. he was, he was, he was rapidly advancing the idea of accountability. You have less gossip when everyone, or not when everyone, when more people in the organization are accountable than fewer people are accountable. Because when you feel accountable uh, for your words and for your actions, all of a sudden you are now accountable for everything else. And thus you're not spreading gossip. Third thought on this, and this goes to Dan's point. Um, Dan, most of us are not on Game of Thrones. Most of us don't have an 800-ton dragon. <laughs> and that's what gossip is. It's an 800-ton dragon. Mm -hmm. And we all need to stop bowing up like we've got one. You don't. You don't have an 800-ton dragon. You're not in a fight to, like, win, you know, Westeros or something. 
You're trying to get paid and advance an agenda that you didn't pick. Let's be real here. Oh, but right? come on. The backstabbiness is what makes the day worth doing, right? I mean, know. I'm most all jobs about are not that exciting. It's the gossip that keeps you coming back. You should see the bloodbath behind him. It is gruesome. <laughs> it's morbid. I got a question. And I, this will really help me continue to amass my power at work. Um, what about silence? Mm. Like, could you use silence to mass power as well? Like when people email you or ask you questions, you just don't respond. That's not this Mac. Isn't silent that powerful communicator? Too? I'm going to say Machiavelli. I'm going to. I'm just going to drop Machiavelli on that one. And right, you are literally leveraging. It's a power. It's a power. It's a power move. That's all it is. It's a power move. Right. I mean, because even if you totally disagree and you're like, my science is to communicate to you that the question is ridiculous. Still, the right thing is to respond to the question. Right. Well, it could also mean nobody, you just didn't see the email. Like, oh, true. I mean, see them all. I mean, I know people who would get hundreds of emails a day. Like, if you just want to assume silence, my initial assumption is you just never even saw the email. Oh, I set my outlook so I know that you opened the email and read it. <laughs> Oh, you're one of those. <laughs> mm, I got you pegged. Okay. So what is so, so what does that say? No, what does that say? What does that say about the person who does that? No, but I think silence is still an answer. Now the problem is, and this is where assumption comes in, is you're going to assume what that answer is, whether or not that's reality. So it could totally be a right. power play. It could totally be like, oh, I need to think about this, but I don't have time in this moment to think about this. So I'm going to get back to it. And maybe they forget to go back because um, that It's happens. that vacuum that Hazan was talking about, yeah. though, right? I mean, they're going to be it, assuming I mean, a lot. There could be so many reasons why there's silence, but we usually jump to the worst possible assumption yeah. of, oh, my God, they yeah. hate me. They hate the idea. Or, or, or it's a power play, like you, whatever it is, people will fill that space with the worst story possible. And again, I think that's where we have to, one, it is a method of communication um, and it can be very strategically used intentionally. But I also think we have to be careful with making assumption about what silence really means. Well, and in, and in America, I believe there are some studies that show uh, I don't think the recent one has been done because we live in a world of a cacophony of noise now. Yeah. But um, mm. I, I believe the last thing that I saw was that the average person in the United States can only tolerate about seven seconds of silence. Oh, interesting. It's very short. It's like our attention span. It's gotten much shorter. Bingo. And I tie it to that, right? So um, in some of the work that I used to do, because I used to be in higher education like Dan, if I was in a judicial hearing meeting with a student uh, and I would ask a question that I already knew the answer to because I was also raised by lawyers. So those are the kinds of questions you ask when you're in those types of moments. Um, and I already knew the answer. The student didn't know that I knew. And so, yes, on the one hand, it's a power move. Absolutely. For sure. But on the other hand, it's also a move where I'm just waiting to see what they're going to fill the silence with. And by the way, police do this when they interrogate you. Mm -hmm. So if you're under police interrogation, hold out more than seven seconds. Well, and the same thing, coaching, it, it, silence is a very powerful tool because people can't stand it. I mean, it's the immediate gratification. <laughs> what do you think texting is about? What do you think I, instant messaging 
is about is people can't stand the weight because they oh, do not have the tolerance for uh, the silence, whatever that, even if it's not true, like silence, but they can't handle the weight for what they're expecting you to give them. I think that's funny about messaging. You know, they instant, uh, when we DM, it used to be you could DM and you didn't have to respond for a while, or you could even just not respond. DM was this sort of side communication. Today, if you don't respond to the DM within 15 minutes, 10 minutes, you probably ignoring them. And it seems like that's the ethos that's out there now. It's like, you've got to respond right away. Or why did it gets you back to that medium thing, right? The medium thing, you know, it's how we've changed. The culture seems just probably maybe less so in, in business circles, but definitely in the world it seems that way. I will, you know, I'll say this in terms of the email thing. One thing I try to do now is just that even because I think sometimes people don't respond and you get that silence because they don't know the answer to the question you've asked. And so just saying, hey, I don't know. <laughs> I got to talk to some people and I'll get back to you in this span of time. But you have to be confident to say you don't know. There's a lot of that. I mean, if you were a leader with a fairly large ego, saying I don't know is like criminal. Like you're never going to do that. Because it makes you look less than what you want to look in some people's eyes. So, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, that takes a level of confidence. I mean, I have no problem saying I have no clue. But I know some people I've worked with and for, those words will never come out of their mouths. Like, they want to be the authority. And if that question is coming to them, it's coming to them for a reason. Right. But you could respond simply as saying, I mean, we're getting the specifics here. Um, but you could just simply respond saying, hey, I, saw, I see your message. Haven't had time to take a look at it. We'll check it out this week. Give me, give me a couple. Getting days. into specifics, yeah. Jonah. You're always complaining and, that we're too esoteric then, on this show. Yeah, I I, I know. And then on top of that, shooting me down. you gave me an idea. You gave me an idea that Microsoft should actually have a, a button that you can click. That when you click on it, it says, "I I seen this email." Doesn't mean I've read it, but I've seen it. And that way they know that you've seen it. You know? Yeah. Well, they'll come up with that tool and they won't pay us a dime. No, but no, Thanks no. for sharing no, no, no. that <laughs> intellectual property with pending. them. Jonah. It's a patent, patent pending right now. What are you talking about? It's going it's, to it's stay. Follow-up question, follow question to this. Can you over-communicate? Do leaders need to think, you know, we have silence, but what about the over-communicators? Oh, yes, you can over-communicate. I've been beating myself up over the last couple of days because I've been oversharing. It's been ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> well, what does, it mean, what does it mean to over-communicate? <laughs> well, it means that you're not allowing the other party in the, in the conversation to breathe because you're so yeah. – needy of hearing your own voice dan let me get let me let me let me be self-aware uh no not dan dan is fine you needy of hearing your own voice um that you're not allowing the other person to have to have to, to breathe in the room right yeah. or or to paraphrase richard dawkins you're so in love with your own ideas that you're drunk with your own ideas and just like an intoxicated person at a bar someone needs to cut you off and tell you to go home Right. It's time to leave. And so, um, you know, I think about I've been thinking I've been critiquing myself and I do this in my own personal communications, business communications. You know, how effectively am I communicating? Um, how consistently am I communicating? Am I over communicating? And of course, we all know those people that we want to get the heck away from in a conversation because you can't get into a thought edge wise, much less a word. So um, I have so, a very like brilliant phrase for it, which has been used by others. But, um, and it's, I, you said so many beautiful, intelligent things. So all I could think was, is when you say over communicate verbal diarrhea, it's 
it's <laughs> it's it's a lot less sophisticated than what he just said. But it's that it's it's the fact that it's a ton of words. You're lost. You you don't even know what they were talking about because they've said so many things. And so walking away, you have no idea what the objective was. You have no idea what you actually were supposed to take out of it other than you're thoroughly confused. And yes, you're running away um, as quickly as possible. And hopefully you're not responsible for something because you could not for the life of you tell you what that would be uh, that's because a big one. it was so jarbled and it was so much. Um, you know, I often feel like, you know, who's really good at this politicians like who don't oh, really yeah. want to answer mm. a question but they will, there's a ton of words in there, but gosh, darn it. You couldn't, I can't tell you what any of them mean. Like theoretically, yeah. they're all words. They're somewhat they in a decent order. They so much and nothing at the same time. <laughs> you know, I think to me that's an, but I mean, oh, you can also think, and I was thinking about this as well, when you're talking about the change you're going through, like a legitimate change uh, in those moments, can you over communicate? Some people would argue, yes, I would say no. So like if you have a legitimate, concise, clear mm. message and you know it's a big change of some kind, I think err on the side of over communication from emails, yep. whatever it is, billboards, pamphlets, whatever you need to do to get your message and ensure that message is being received. I don't think in that moment you can have over communication, but I do think that's a good point. If, it, if your message is not clear and it's not concise and you're just you know, wasting a lot of air because you love to hear yourself talk. That's a different, I feel like that's a different thing, but definitely I think we have, yeah, I, we all can think of people who do that. And again, I don't think the example you gave <laughs> is exactly over communicating. It would be qualified as appropriately communicating. Because well, I would, but I would some assume people might feel like it's too much. Like I've had leaders say when we would go in with a communication plan and say, wow, this feels like too much. And we would say, I would rather err on the side of too much and then not, versus not enough. And so if so what I would for that's, you know, talking about leadership out there or even like when you're having something with a family, like if it's a clear, concise message, making sure it's covered is appropriate. But it's the clear, concise part is the key. There's a model that we use in our <clears throat> in our training and development with um, with leaders. Uh, we call it the three C's model, and we I've talked about it a little bit on this podcast before, but it bears bringing up here because it goes to Kimberly's point about uh, about about thinking and then communicating. So we often wind up in a world a word jumble because we are not thinking clearly. And 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 that's an interesting question to ask leaders. And so the mm. model that we use is. Uh, the three C's model, we, we talk about clarity, candor, and courage, right? And the first C of that clarity is not merely clarity of speech. It is clarity of thought. Mm -hmm. And all speech communication starts in your brain until until Elon Musk gets that, you know, neural neural thing, link. Neural link hooked up, <laughs> right? Until we're all neural linking with each other in the great singularity in the sky uh, or wherever <laughs> on the earth, wherever it's going to be at. Um, until that happens – we need to think clearly in order to speak clearly. And many leaders um, and their followers are confused in their thinking. And that's probably a lo much larger issue with both undersharing and oversharing. Well, and it's a circle this all the way back to something you said at the beginning when we started talking was, can you explain it to a five-year-old? Right. Can you answer questions? Mm -hmm you know, at that simple of a level, 
Um, and if you can't, then you, that's where you have to like go back and say, okay, I need to make this clear. I need to think this through differently. Um, because again, attention spans are short. So if you can't communicate it very clearly, very concisely, you've lost them after the first three words. Unless you're listening incredibly intently, but yeah. Well, and realistically, most people are staring at their Apple watches or their iPhones. I'm like, doing that right phones. now, actually. So, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. hey, guys, oh, I'm, I am sorry to do this. Uh, we are actually at time here. So, um, but any final thoughts? Let's take five minutes here. Any final thoughts before we, we close this out? Any? What are your just, key takeaways around communication and leadership? So... I, I'll jump first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that uh, the, the clear takeaway from our conversation today is that communication can happen anywhere at any time. It happens whether we're paying attention to it uh, or not. Uh, it involves a lot of different aspects um, of thought and of communication, right, that we sometimes take for granted, uh, sometimes don't think through all the way. And can sometimes rely. We can sometimes rely too much on our tools, uh, rather than um, our relationships and our connections with other people. And um, all of those need to be examined by leaders who are communicating intentionally with their brain on, with their brains on. Uh, and we need more of that, not less of that. Nice. I would say yes to that com- completely. Um, I also think. What I would encourage for people to do is to proactively try to improve those skills. And so if you think you're a good communicator, I would ask your team. So I, in a training I used to do, I used to ask leaders, the first thing I would say, are you a good communicator? And overwhelmingly, everyone would say yes. And then the next question I would ask is, does your, would your team describe you as a good communicator? And the answers were always very different. And so um, then this was them imagining themselves and they were like, oh, well, I don't know. So what I would encourage leaders to do is to get curious about where they can get better. Um, Don't become defensive about it. If you get some criticism about your communication, that's actually a gift, because if you want to continue to promote and move up in your career, communication is going to be critical along that journey. Um, cause it's that whole concept of, you know, it takes forever to build trust. It takes one action to break it. And so, and usually it comes through a communicate, something that you've done commun- via communication. So I would just really encourage people to seek out really great mentors, seek out coaches, ask for that help proactively. Don't wait for it. Hopefully don't wait till you're told you suck at something to get better at it. Um, because I don't know a single person who's a perfect communicator, Everybody has some aspect that they can work on and focus on. Um, and just keep in mind that, it's, again, it's not just about your words. It's also your actions. Your actions are incredibly important. How you behave, how you show up is equally as important as the words you use. And my key takeaways, I'm going to use more silence and gossip to amass power so I can completely take control of the organization for which I work. Thanks for letting me know. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
Did I tell you about Jota? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, are we gonna tell that? Are we gonna I give? So are we gonna, are we, can I divert again? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, are we gonna do that? Last, do we want to tell the story of uh, our college friend, or should we just the erectile dysfunction story? Yes, let's sandwich the episode with erectile dysfunction right, so stories. It ends with this, and uh, Sam's accent, and like I said, it really does not relate to the story you said, other than it has to do with erectile dysfunction. He called me Sam. This is other one yeah, here. Dan, uh, so we had, we had a friend, we had a mutual friend in college, and he was a Japanese foreign student, and awesome dude, uh, hung out with us, and um, he came to us one day, he told us his story, uh, because he was aware of what had happened, and he was in class, and the teacher was, it was politics class, I think, and the teacher said to him, and he asked the class, he goes, oh, tell us, you know, what, what do you think of America had one problem with its political system? Or uh, what? What would it be? Just to, what's the biggest problem? You know, every student, you know, students rose their hand, and and then I think it wasn't wasn't Taro, but anyways, he, he our friend raised his hand, and with a very thick Japanese accent, uh, he told everybody that we have an erection problem. Well, that's another kind of communication. It is. <laughs> that's why I was remiss to even tell the story. I was... <laughs> as we, well, thank as you. we become a more sure international workforce, <laughs> appreciating how difficult other languages are to master. And Absolutely. Enunciation can be difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, Dan, thanks for having me say this story. <laughs> And this, I, we should say this was probably right after the Gore versus Bush election. Or, yeah, probably. No, was this was back in the nineties, so maybe not. No. It was he was talking about elections. No, it was probably no Gore. Anyway, we should wrap up. Yeah, take us out, Dan. Anyways, how can find, folks find? Uh, not that they're going to want to find you after this joke that Joe did have said or story that Joe did have said. But if people want to reach out to you, how do they find you uh, and uh, hire you as consultants? Um, you can find me on my website, KimberlyJBenoit.com, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn by the same name. And I would just love love to chat with anybody. Lord knows I've given you ample reason to have conversations with me after today. So um, <laughs> I'm sure all my devices have been listening. and I'm going to get a bunch of erectile dysfunction ads on my phone. So, um, but yeah, that's how you can find me. Hey, son. <laughs> Uh, and of course, this is now my uh, my third time on the Census Signal podcast. And so thank you, gentlemen, for having me back again. It's always a good time. It's always a pleasure. Always, yeah. always a pleasure. Always a good time uh, showing up here. Um, as usual, you can find uh, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn. Just type in Hasan M. Sorrells and you will be able to connect with me there from the Census Signal podcast. I would also encourage you to take a listen to uh, the podcast that I host. It's called the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast, where we read a great book that you fell asleep to in high school and try to pull out uh, leadership lessons from it. Sense and Sensibility, Hamlet, uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, uh, The Brothers Karamazov, and more. You can check that out on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or everywhere where you listen to podcasts. And finally, check out my latest book, 12 Rules for Leaders, The Foundation of Intentional Leadership, co-written with contributions from Bradley Madigan on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and everywhere where you pick up books. Thank you. 
Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Well, you both are wonderful guests. It's love, always lovely to have you both on the show. On, on the show. Thank you. And uh, we'll have you on again sometime. Thank you, Thank Thank you. you so much. Take care, everybody. See you guys later. See you next time. See you later. Bye. Thank you.